Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. All right, everybody knows we love Dogtra, dogtra.com. Uh, the YS600 bar collars, the 1900S uh, black. That's one of uh, Ted's favorites. Uh, check them out, WDR10 for 10% off a single item over $200. That is dogtra.com. Hits canine for handlers by handlers in Chocolate City for 2024, New Orleans, 2024, August 21st to the 23rd. Hit them up. Hits canine, letter K-9.net. Don't wait till the last minute to sign up. We have a great relationship with the folks down at Kinetic Dog Food. Uh, they have a great balance of healthy meats, grains, and is made specifically for working and sporting dogs. Check them out, kineticdogfood.com. You will not be disappointed. They are great. Hey, guys, be sure to check out Ray Allen Manufacturing's new training app that they've got, iTunes Store and the Android Store, uh, new product collaborations. Um, be sure to check it out. We also got a new discount code RAM, R-A-M-W-D-R, RAM, W-D-R for 10% off, RayAllen.com. American Aluminum, best inserts in the game. Hit them up at Easy Rider Online. That's the letter E-Z, RiderOnline.com. Brand new advertiser, guys, Rex Specs. We love them. They believe that any adventure work or play is better with a dog by your side to keep them protected with you no matter what. Rex Specs designs and manufactures performance-driven dog gear for the active and working dog. 20% off your first order. Discount code Working Dog Radio. All right, we are back. Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. Uh, I am Ted Summers from uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, as always. Uh, with me from Canton, Ohio, is Eric. Eric, what's going on, man? Um, you know, just the usual stuff. I uh, just got back from Washington State doing my e-collar without conflict for working dog seminar. I had a great time. Um, you had did dinner with Ken Pavlik, huh? I did. Yeah, it was a good time, uh, yeah. dude. This is the weirdest thing. So, so this training group put me at a really nice hotel down on the waterfront in Everett, Washington. Really nice place. So Ken picks a restaurant that's literally a hundred feet from the hotel. And it's called Fisherman Jack's. I'm like, cool. I told my wife, I say, yeah, I'm going to meet Ken at Fisherman Jack's. Hopefully they get some, should have some good seafood, right? We're going to have good seafood. And, uh, dude, I go there. It's It's got nautical theme, you know, ships and all that other shit. It was a Chinese restaurant. No fish what? at all. What? No, no, no. <laughs> I had I had Zeshuan beef and broccoli and some shit like that. <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding me? No, it was not a uh, Fisherman <laughs> Jacks. Is it? It says there, Asian we're gonna get some fucking hate mail. It was Chinese right, food with Sapporo beer. That's all it was. So I think Sapporo is Japanese, but uh, yeah, Jap- okay. So yep. Yeah. Uh, so I just got back uh, a little bit ago. Um, I've got another one of the seminars at my place, the Fun House, uh, the sixth to the eighth of December. That should be pretty fun. A smaller group than last time because. I forgot most of the departments in Ohio, the budget ends at the end of December. So nobody spends money in December. So I'll do it again in like April and have a packed up group. But the guys that are coming, um, we're going to get a lot extra. So we'll be able to do a lot of stuff. Oh, dude, two of my guys, uh, you know, you've met CJ. So CJ and Damon, right. that, that were both ex-cops. They got out of law enforcement to work for me on the pet side. At the fun house, they took over a room at the fun house and built a high end, legit golfing simulator in there. 
Like I went there today. It's got a lock on the door, code open up. They got big screen TVs, a bar, uh, fucking this. It's pretty crazy. I was like, shit. I thought it was gonna be like, you know, some bullshit. No, it's high end projector. I said, boys are making some money doing boarding trains. They're like, I'm, I'm paying you guys <laughs> way too much. What the? Fuck? But it's cool, man. So because I know Damon is uh, CJ's a good golfer, but Damon's a scratch golfer, so. Um, gives him a chance to get better because now it's winter here. It's 24 degrees today. So, yeah. So, what's going on in Tulsa? Uh, I'm getting ready. I have a huge handler school starting in January, and the state of Oklahoma just uh, like our post or OPOT or whatever, our post is cleat. Uh, they just made a mandatory minimum class length before you can even apply to get uh, your letter to test. And uh, they've been doing a lot of things. They're cracking down on a lot of things that they shut up from oh, for a long time ago. So now um, the days are done where you're getting a, a week long handler school and then going to test. And so they're making a minimum length, which ours is meets that and has for years. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I think it's good. So January 1st, I have the first class of the year for that new standard and i've got like fucking 20 teams in that class for yeah so we're working on all those green dogs right now and have been for a while um yeah so and then i'm gonna have some of our uh state certifiers who are also some of my handlers come in to help instruct on some of those days because i've got a mix of dual and single purpose so we've got to split the class and stuff so it's going to be interesting but uh oh a quick note on our patreon thing so uh, we were initially we were very successful with the Patreon program um, and we had a lot of people sign up, but it is the most cumbersome platform and it has become extremely difficult for us to use. Uh, YouTube has offered a similar thing. So that's what we're moving over to. So if you're listening to this, head over to uh, just go to YouTube and look for Working Dog Radio. It's right there. You can watch video versions of the podcast like we're doing right now. But um, Eric and I just uploaded 21 videos of bite work detection tracking some have got me and you in them and then you just o- uploaded a three hour deal on your uh conflict without or e-collar without conflict thing yeah it's basically me um, going so, over my powerpoint and what it's like being in the class just not working dogs but going over all the things that i talk about at the seminars and the conferences and everything yeah. it's pretty good so yeah just go look working dog radio up on youtube and it's easy and it's, you sign up and subscribe there cool. it's, you get behind the paywall yeah so anyway now that the housekeeping shit's out of the way who do we have tonight right. again from what was it when did we decide we before a- we started recording we april of episode- 2018 like april 23rd episode 11 11 yeah that's a long time ago long that time ago we started in f- back in the February. day i think we were t- that's using- when you were sitting in your closet yeah i think we we're using tin cans and a rope probably back then so yeah. we brought on if you go back and listen um our good buddy uh benito benny olson um is on from patreon dog, dog training. guy so uh we started talking to him because we had heard rumblings that benny was writing a book and uh so those were true and he just uh, just showed us he got a he got his first copy. If you check out Patriot Dog Training, you can show that there. Yeah, take a look at that. The underdogs, whoop whoop, nice. Um, I love that picture in the front. Um, we, Thanks. It's yeah. It's been one of the any any anytime anybody ever texts me, they're like, "Hey, I saw your picture." Yeah, like, that the picture. Know yeah, it. Yeah, that's the dog that looks like he's uh, stands nine feet tall in that picture. Yeah, mini horse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so anyways, Benny, glad to have you back on, buddy. Um, Thank you. It's been a while. We were talking off camera or on camera, but off recording that um, back when we got him, we had Benny on there. He's one of the, so um, if you remember, Benny uh, was a master at arms uh, chief, right? When you left chief petty officer. Yep. Um, yes, sir. He uh, was a dog handler attached to um, tier one unit there in the Navy. If you get his book, you'll see on the cover, the, the government blacked out a number. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah, it's stupid, but whatever. Uh, you know, n- nobody knows it exists. I think there's a movie called that. But anyways, um, and he was the f- first person that we knew that came out of kind of the working dog world and was like, screw that, man, and did the pet the pet dog stuff. And I remember us talking. I don't know if it was on air or off air, but you're like, dude, uh, I'm telling you, this is where you got to be headed. Yeah. And Ted and I were like, fuck that. And now uh, I closed my kennel just in August and I don't, I'm not even providing working dogs anymore and um, doing pets. And Ted's about, I don't know, probably what 50, 50 now, like pretty big on both sides. Yeah. I still focus heavily almost exclusively on the working dog yeah, side. Cause, cause what you like. Um, right. But uh, you know, <laughs> when we were grinding out our businesses and everything, the pets is what, you know, kept the lights on and everything. And I remember, I remember, uh, I think about that every once in a while. I go, I should listen to Benny in 2018 because I started the pet dog business of us on a small scale in 2018. Like two, and you just opened your second location. Yeah, so. like two trainers. Yeah, and uh, so, anyways, thank you know, you kind of lit the fire under me uh, going because you seem to be doing pretty freaking good. It's it's going it's going well. Yeah, I mean, it could always be better, but you know, with staffing and whatnot it's i mean you guys know Mm -hmm. the pet industry or the animal industry in general just the turnover with the pet world and you know just dogs in general like people get burnt out and um yeah i think i read somewhere somebody told me that for the dog world it's two or three years if you stick past that you'll stay if not you're out you're gonna burn out especially the board and train trainers that take the dogs home every day that's seven days yeah. a week, all day and night. It's, it's, it, I get it. You take yours home? Uh, I don't. Well, I'm, I have enough people now that I don't uh, train any of the dogs. I just run the business and I jump in. So we have, I have dogs that stay at the facility and trainers on the facility. Yeah. And then I have outside trainers that train board and trains. So I'm at the cool. facility all day, every day helping out there. Um, but, anyways, so uh, the one thing we didn't get to do that we like to do is we didn't really get to get into like your upbringing that much. So the dog, the book is called Underdogs, right? And yes, basically, it sounds like your whole life, like underdog, shouldn't have succeeded, shouldn't have made it to where you made it, shouldn't have made it inside the unit that you made it in, shouldn't have succeeded the way you did, shouldn't have survived. The story that we did talk about in the first episode of the of the house exploding and caving in on everybody you, know, you and the dog and you shouldn't be here like you shouldn't be moving and walking and talking and or even alive and so yeah. uh it sounds like you've had to deal with that your whole life so let's let's go all the way back to remind everybody where you're from and kind of talk about that underdog part of your young life sure and again like the the whole underdog thing i don't want people to read my story and be like oh poor me i want people <laughs> to see that there's there's those were all building blocks yeah. to get me past the ultimate, my ultimate test in life. 
Um, so yeah, man, I, I grew up in Salt St. Paul, Minnesota, a uh, little cow town. It's not like that anymore. Um, you know, every time you wake up in the morning, walk to school, you can smell the stockyards and, uh, yeah, just a small town. I grew up there, you know, all the way up until 18 years. Um, you know, my mom ended up leaving as soon as I graduated a couple months later and moved to Alabama. So I was like really on my own, but yeah, I grew up in South St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, did you have animals? Did you mess around with it like that? Man, every time we had an animal, it was usually a dog that a family member had come into town or they lost. Like we had this little poodle named Cuddles. Mm -hmm. We inherited him because he, the family had to go back home and we ended up finding the dog, you know, two weeks later. And, you know, they were like, Hey, just keep him up there. You know, I don't know. Yeah. One of those things. <laughs> uh, we had a Dalmatian, but man, I tell you what, those dogs are crazy. I mean, no offense to anybody who owns one. I haven't seen one in a long time. It seems like that trend is is gone, but, um, we owned a Dalmatian and it was, I don't know. It was, the dog was wild. You know, I wasn't really a dog person. I'll be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I wasn't a dog person, uh, up until I got in the Navy and started seeing the working dogs, uh, working. Yeah. We, uh, it's funny in my, my place, we have a, a guy that comes and he has two Dalmatians. We've trained both of them. One is look standard white with black spots. The other one is I'm telling you is black with white spots. <clears throat> Wow. He's so there's so much black on that dog. Um and they're not bad. They're not they're they're okay. Uh they yeah. they trained up real nice. But you're right. Um I, I tell you what, in probably the last four years we've done three, maybe. Wow. Yeah, not very many of those. I haven't done I haven't done any. And three thousand German shepherds, of course. Of course. Yeah, like everybody. So um mom moves out she's headed to alabama we didn't mention dad yeah so my mom and dad they were never together i mean they were together when they had me but mm -hmm. um you know uh my dad was essentially 18 years old at the time when i was born so he was a kid you know we like i talk to him now and he's a kid trying to have a kid you know what i mean yeah. raising a kid raising a kid and uh so he really wasn't around and you know, my mom had these random boyfriends and stuff like that, uh, you know, kind of crazy sometimes. You know, I had one that, you know, she broke up with him and he launched a, a chair into our uh, first floor apartment uh, window and the cops came and everything. It was pretty bad. And, um, you know, so we had we had that and then I had my stepdad um, who started off great, but he ended up, you know, being an alcoholic, into drugs, gambling. Um, you know, I write about it in the book, you know, he went gambling one time and lost a bunch of money and was, was drunk and went to somebody's home, burglarized it. Um, you know, just stuff like that. I remember him coming home, you know, after he did that, they came to our house, the FBI actually showed up because he took some of their prescriptions. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Christmas time, you know, they had, to uh, unwrap all of the presents under the tree and, you know, as drunk as he was, he actually had wrapped some of that stuff. I don't, again, you don't know what people are thinking when they're, they lost a bunch of money and they're, um, you know, they're drunk. And so, I mean, I kind of made me, uh, focus not being that way on my, in life. You know, I'm not a, not a huge gambler. Don't really drink. So, you know, how old were uh, you then? God, I was 14, probably 14 or 15 when that happened, but 
uh, going back to my dad, my dad went to prison, uh, right when I was going into seventh grade and, uh, you know, he got caught up in money laundering and just a drug dealing. I mean, he was mixed in with all of that and he got sentenced to about when I was 18, right. When I was getting ready to graduate, he got out. And, um, at that point I really didn't want much to do with him because he wasn't there during my teenage years. And as you know, as a, as a man, how important it is to, to raise your, your boys and your girls, especially in those years. And, um, didn't really have that. I didn't, I didn't have it on my, my stepdad. I mean, he, when he first started, he was great, but then that slowly went away and, you know, just kind of on my own to, to, to raise myself. I mean, my mom did the best she could. She was, you know, worked at the packing house. So she was working down in the stockyards. I mean, my mom busted her ass. So you want to talk about a real hero. She was the one that was busting her ass for us kids. And, Mm. you know, she eventually got a job at the post office, which she's still at. But, you know, I remember her coming home bloody, you know, from the the cows. And, um, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting childhood, but I wouldn't trade it because it, you know, made me who I am today. Is the post office what took her to Alabama? So no, my, my stepdad is what took her to oh. Alabama and that really didn't turn out uh, great for her. You know, she, um, she ended up getting down there and he ended up just lack of better words, being a piece of shit, like didn't do what he said he was going to do. And, um, went back to the alcohol, the bottle and drug her down there, you know, and I had to go live with my aunt for a couple months and that was, you know, I was grateful for that, but I was going to a community college you know, cause no one talked to me about college. So I just was like, okay, I'm going to go to college. Went to community college. Cause that's all I could get into at the time. And I ended up going and living in this, uh, apartment complex right across from it, man. It was like the worst thing I could have ever done. There was, you know, drug dealing going on. You basically shared an apartment with a bunch of like four other people or three other people. There was four rooms and you shared the kitchen and it was like, it was like going to boot camp with a bunch of people that didn't take care of themselves, but you couldn't yell at them. You couldn't like, there was no structure to it. It was, it was bad. And, um, that's when I was like, I fuck, I can't do this. So mm-hmm. I ended up, uh, joining the Navy after that. But yeah, so sorry. I kind of skipped ahead. No. That was kind of, yeah. So I, I would assume like a lot of these, uh, stories, like with the stepdad, that there were, good days and you're kind of hoping you know maybe this maybe he's made a turn the corner and then back to same old shit yeah Yeah, i mean but you know the alcohol it's it's one of those things that keeps on drugs you know keeps dragging you down and you can kind of see it running his family i remember his family coming up one year and um his brother you know thought that we had stolen some of his money because he was so drunk and he misplaced it he was chasing us with a knife down in our basement. And I remember, I can't make this shit up. Let's crown out this uh, little egress window uh, in Minnesota when the North, you know, we have basements. Mm-hmm. So you have to have these like windows where you can crawl out of. Well, this was back before they made it mandatory that they had to be big enough for you to fit through. We managed to fit through it, but I had locked the bathroom door downstairs and crawled out that window and he barely, he almost got to me. I mean, it was, it was pretty bad. Um, he probably doesn't remember that, but um, you know, me and my uh, stepbrother or whatever, mm. he remembers. Do you still talk to him? You guys still? Who's that? Your stepbrother. No. 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 Well, that'll split. That's that's crazy how that works. He probably wrapped, no, I mean, he probably wrapped yeah. the money in a fucking present. 
like with the TV remote or some shit. <laughs> that would have been my my stepdad, but his brother, like legitimately, I mean, yeah. I mean, I couldn't tell you he chasing me with that damn knife. It was no <laughs> Jesus. I laugh about it now, yeah, no. but it was it was scary shit. What was uh what was his gambling vice? What did he what did he gamble on back then in Minnesota? I think it was just the machines, you know, um, you know, because we have the casinos up there, and uh, my mom and him one time they they won. I don't know if, and this is what made it worse. They won, I don't know, maybe five, ten thousand dollars on a slot machine. Said, "Hey, we're gonna stay here for the stay here for the weekend," you know, because they keep you there. And um, you know, when you win big, it's like, okay, well, I'm gonna gamble some more. And so they just they would go on the weekends, and you know, it's just yeah, it's, it's an it's an addiction, oh, yeah. man. It's and it's a killer. It's it's it sucks, dude. I I'm assuming that Ted, you're in the heart of gambling addiction in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Well, yeah, because I I live in an Indian reservation. Right. <laughs> I mean, their fucking casinos are everywhere. There's one three miles from here, or well, yeah, about three miles from here. There's a huge one, Margaritaville. The Jimmy Buffett thing is mm -hmm. down. Um, we have yeah, we have a lot. I mean, it's a thing here. And on top of that, when you go on to them, like you're no longer in the United States, by the way, and they put a big sign at the front. It was like, you're like subject to, to the, the constitution of the tribe. And people are like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I'm like, no, not yeah, yeah, whatever. So um, the BIA actually has their head trainer here, which I think most people, I just said BIA and they're like, the what? Yeah, his name's Max Odin. We actually should have him on. Anyway, um, I need to talk to him. Anyway, yeah, like the Bureau of Indian Affairs has their canine program here. So, oh. so yeah. when you uh, you got a good story, like did you go down to the on purpose to the Navy, or did the Navy guy gank you out when you walked in there? No, I mean, uh, so in high school, this Nate recruiter, Chief Carson, I'll never forget his name. I found him on Facebook and I thanked him for what he did. Um, he kept on hounding me the whole time I was uh, in high school. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I want to go to boat. I don't want to do none of that shit. And um, I ended up, we were sitting in class uh, during 9-11 senior year. And uh, I was like, I need to go do something. So I joined the National Guard. And uh, I didn't know much about the National Guard. And... <laughs> all this stuff was happening with my family and I wanted to get out of Minnesota because I wanted to get so far away. Um, just a lot, of, just a lot, it just sucked. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, it was really hard. And I found out the national guard, you know, is based out of Minnesota and I didn't know anything about the war. No one explained that, Hey, they, these guys can deploy. Um, so I didn't know that part. And I was like, look, I want to go back to the, I want to go to the army the regular army and little did I know that that's not how that works. Like they can't just transfer you over. It's a different, yeah. just a different thing. And, uh, so I said, look, I'm not coming back. And, uh, I was 17 and they gave me an RE3 discharge. I can't tell you what it stands for. I probably shouldn't know that, but basically it made it a pain in the ass for me to get back in the military. I mean, it, it's on not dishonorable, but it's like other than honorable or some, some shit. But basically it would make me look really bad for employment and whatnot. Um, I didn't know they did that. So I hadn't went to boot camp yet. I didn't know they did that. And uh, so I went to the recruiter, uh, Chief Karst, after I swore up and down, I'm not going to do this um, because of the experience I had with the National Guard. Because the guy told me I wouldn't amount to anything. The National Guard uh, sergeant 
that was in charge of, I, I signed up for infantry out of all things too. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he said, I want to mount to anything. And I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to do nothing to do with the military. I had such a bad experience. And then finally I was just pushed to the brink and I went down to the, the recruiting station. And the only ones that were there were the Navy recruiters. Oddly enough, the Marines weren't there. The army wasn't there. And I don't know they, I didn't want to join the air force. Um, walked in there and he was surprised as shit to see me. And so, uh, he, you know, did all my paperwork and he's like, Hey, we got a problem. You're, they gave you an RE3 discharge, which is not, not good at all. He's like, I had no idea why they would do it to a young kid like you, but they did it. And, uh, pretty much had to go beg a, um, the regional, like, uh, commanding officer to like, let me in the Navy. And he basically was like, why, why should I let you in my Navy? And I'm, I just told him like, I have no other choice. I will do everything and anything, um, you know, to make, make, make you proud of this decision. And, uh, he ended up letting me in because the Navy at the time was upping their recruiting because of nine 11. So that, that's where that went. But, uh, yeah, I needed to get out of Minnesota. Um, too much, too many things had happened. Uh, I didn't mention it in the beginning, but one of the reasons why I wrote my book is I wanted to see people. I wanted people to know that, um, all the stuff that I went through, I still made it. Um, when I was, uh, going into seventh grade, I was also molested. Um, you know, guys don't talk about that shit. Mm-hmm. Like we, we just don't, I, I don't know if it's like a, you're ashamed or I'm, I'm not ashamed because I, when I was 11, 12 years old and, um, you know, I wanted people to know that like all of the worst things that you can think of, I still, still managed to, to get there. And, you know, it's, um, that's why I went in the, in the Navy. I just figured, well, shit, every, all these bad things have happened. Um, I just want to get away and just maybe, maybe it's better, you know? Yeah. Did you go to Great Lakes or San Diego? Where'd you go? I went to Great Lakes. Yeah. Great, great mistakes. Yeah. Yep. You're like, fuck, it's just as cold here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Ted, did you happen to, I knew you're Googling around. Did you happen to look up that RE3? Uh, no, I didn't, but I, I, I've heard that term before from one of our other guests, ironically enough, uh, who I'm not going to mention, but, uh, you can probably figure it out. But, uh, we also have a mutual friend that I think is, has one of those that was also, he's never been on the podcast, but he's, he was in the army and the Navy and he did the same job in both oh. as an intelligence guy. Yeah. <laughs> so Look he has that. a similar story. <laughs> so when you, when yeah. you get in there, you know, I don't know, I don't know if how, how much you get to talk to guys at, at boot camp there or, or as you're going, did you, did you meet guys with similar stories? No, Life but stories. you could tell that you could no, I didn't I didn't really um you don't really open up about that stuff, but you could tell that there was people that you know, guys, girls that came from hard homes. Um you know, you can definitely tell those that were forced to do stuff on their own when they were kids, like on their own when they were kids. Um sorry my English is bad <laughs> right now. Um you know, and then you could tell that there were people that had everything done for them and they didn't know how to wipe their ass, you know? And so, uh, it, it was definitely different, a different experience. Yeah. So what, what were you like in boot camp? Were you a kind of a gray man? Were you the scrounger? What'd you do? So I, uh, I tried to take on a leadership 
position, a master at arms. They had different leadership positions. Master at arms was one of them. Uh, but I quickly realized that I was 115 pounds, 110 pounds. They, these people don't listen to anybody, you know, and, uh, I worked really hard. I mean, I, all the PT tests, all the, the, you know, the, the, um, knowledge tests that you had to remember. Like I, I was really motivated by being, uh, the top. Um, so I did, I did very well and, um, yeah, I, I didn't really slack off and I wasn't really mouthy, um, but they still beat you anyway. So it didn't really matter. Yeah. How, how'd you land on that job that you were going to, that you eventually got to? Master at arms. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be a police officer my whole life. Like I wanted to be opposite of my dad and being a police officer is all I could muster up as the opposite mm-hmm. of my dad. And I went to the recruiting office and he said, you know what? He's like, I think I got a job for you. He's like, uh, Minnesota passed a law where if you go serve five years, you can come back out and then take the test and get signed on as a police officer. Well, I was like, I have a girlfriend. What's, what's five years? Yeah. Like we'll, we'll make it. And, um, so that's why I enlisted as a master at arms because they said that, you know, while you're in, you'll go do police stuff, which far from the truth. <laughs> like I went over to Bahrain, my first deployment and I ended up standing a gate or not deployment. My first, uh, duty station. Mm-hmm. Ended up standing a gate. There was no law enforcement for me, anyways. How, how long did that girlfriend last? Man, she lasted uh, not even a couple months of me getting over to Bahrain. Yeah, yeah. Like I came back home on uh, came back home from on leave uh, and found out that you know she's you know ready to move on and stuff like that. But unfortunately, I was staying at her house. And, um, <laughs> it was just really awkward. Her parents were super nice though. Like that's the one thing I'll tell you, like all of my relationships with people, like the girlfriends and stuff, like I always, they always had like good parents. And I think I was drawn to that because mm-hmm. I, I had a great mom. Right. But I did not have that family, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Right. So, but now her pa- parents are good and he lasted about, I don't know, three or four months. A, of a minute and a hot minute. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Which is sucks, but it's, you know, it was for the best. I mean, I'm married to wonderful, wonderful lady. Yeah. So yeah, that's how it works out, buddy. Um, Hell yeah. so when you, where was your A school at? I was, uh, my A school. So they had two A schools. One was down in little Creek or someone not down. It was over in little Creek, uh, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was down in San Antonio, which is where I'm at right now. Oh. And, uh, that was the, cushy one because you're on the air force base but i went over to little creek and uh there you're you were with all of like a lot of fleet returnees and whatnot so people that had already been in the navy a good hot minute and you were at the bottom and they made you feel like you were at the bottom and how so you're a buck 10 well how tall are you then uh five nine five ten so that was where they're like there's no chance dude you're not going to make this job not that no, mm-hmm. but when I went over to when I when I went to uh, over with the seals, they they looked at me and were like, "There's no way." <laughs> but that, that was the first time I ever experienced that. Um, I mean, most of the young kids. I mean, I wasn't the smallest guy, but I was still pretty small. Ted, how much did you weigh when you graduated? Uh, man, I was cycling a bunch, so. 
I was like six foot, like 140. Wow. Like, so I had to be super lean and super thin. And yeah, I'm definitely not that now, but yeah, that, that was, Same here. yeah, you gotta, gotta be light. We gotta be fast. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can get, you can get stronger, you can get lighter to get faster and it was easier to get lighter. So you can only lift so many weights before it also started making you heavy. But yeah, <laughs> I remember when I was 16, my driver's license, I always remember this. My weight was one. 31 or 121. So 16 years old, you know, 121. I get a job at McDonald's and then I'm snagging a chicken nugget and then I'm eating, grabbing this, grabbing that. And uh, then I became a manager when I was still in high school. And the managers, you had to sit in the lobby during your lunch break and you were only allowed to eat McDonald's. Is that McDonald's? Yeah. So, Damn. so when I graduated, I was. I don't know, 40 pounds heavier than that, probably, you know, still like 160, but still, and I've been hovering the one eighties, one nineties ever since my, like my whole rest of my life. So, um, all right. So you get there, you get the master at arms. We're going to go ahead and take our first break. When we get back, we're going to, um, remind everybody. Cause if you, you know, I know we talked about this back in 2018, but people don't want to scroll all the way through on iTunes to find that. We'll, we'll talk, uh, about how you got um, into the into the dogs and that whole thing, and maybe even uh, if you don't mind rehashing your worst story of your life, basically. Sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. So stick around. When we come back. Uh, we're gonna hop right into the Navy stuff. So stick around. All right. We just finished the Hits Canine Training Conference this year in Phoenix, and what a great time it was! What a great turnout! Great instructions. It, I don't know, like 1,300 guys there. It was amazing. Well, guess what? They're coming back next year, August 21st to the 23rd in New Orleans. You do not want to miss it, guys. I'm telling you, it's amazing. The giveaways, the instruction, the instructors, the uh, hanging around at night, getting to meet people. And Ted and I will both be teaching there. Um, if you check them out, hitscanine.net or check them out online. They're everywhere, hitscanine.net. Um, sign up next year. Do not wait. We had a lot of people that waited too long and had to stay at a different hotel than host hotel. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss out. You will not find a larger conference to go to. It is by handlers for handlers. You definitely don't want to miss it out. Hits K9.net new Orleans, 2024. We get it. Fueling a working dog can be tough, but they need high quality food to give them energy and nutrients that require for work and keep their gut healthy. For everything that we ask them to do, Kinetic Dog Food is a great balance of healthy meats and grains and is made specifically for working and sporting dogs. They have a full line of foods and supplements available. Some of them are actually really cool. They have a weight gainer and they have a, an electrolyte one too, which is uh, we actually use the kennel. Uh, this is so hot all the time in Oklahoma. Uh, and they've been working to perfect their line with thousands of dogs and hundreds of departments across the U.S. And you can buy it locally. Or you can buy it online at Tractor Supply and Chewy. So hit them up at Kinetic Dog Food. That's going to be good for Instagram and Facebook. Just spell it out. And then kineticdogfood.com. Or you can send out a text. Like if you have a question, you can call them and just talk to Dave. Area code 513-615-6904. And that dude loves to talk about nutrition labels and what's actually in the food you're feeding versus what they have. So hit them up, Kinetic dot com connect dog food dot com 
we are pleased to have with us on the show as a sponsor, Rexpex Canine. They believe that any adventure or work of play is better with a dog by your side to keep them protected no matter what. They design and manufacture performance trading gear for the active working dog. You can use a discount code working dog greater to get 20% off your first order. But what do they make? Specifically, they make goggles. And it's great for dogs that have panis, which is a genetic thing with their eyes, but it also prevents uh, sticks and stuff for. I had to think about this for a second. There's because I don't want to just read this because it sounds like I'm just fucking reading it. Stick seeds, ducks, it's rocks. Okay rock, uh, yeah, but it sounds like I'm fucking reading it. We're pleased to have as a sponsor, Rexpex Canine. They believe that in any adventure, whether a work or play is better with a dog by your side to keep them protected with you no matter what. Rexpex designs and manufactures performance-driven dog gear for the active and working dog. Uh, specifically, what do they make, though? So if you wanted to get some goggles for the dog, which is great protecting them from UV rays, sticks, seeds, ducks, right, hunting dogs, and rocks, FEMA guys, think about tracking or working in thick cover, rotor wash, uh, dust and sandstorms, nasty basements or attics, or at the range. And specifically, they have interchangeable lenses. They got a dark one, and then they have a clear one uh, used by professionals worldwide. One of my favorite things that they actually make is the Ear Pro. It's something that we use all the time. So one of the things that we do at our handler schools is we do obedience under gunfire with a handler shooting and with backup shooting and move uh, from target to target. And the dogs actually wear the Ear Pro while we're working all the time, and we treat it just like we treat a muzzle. So the dogs will muzzle up wear the ear pro wear the muzzle we're good to go it knocks it down between 18 and 24 decibels all made in quality in the united states rex specs r-e-x-s-p-e-c-s.com at rex specs canine letter k number nine on instagrams and the facebook working dog radio for your 20 percent off all right everybody we're back working dog radio broadcasting the bite myself and ted uh as always from tulsa oklahoma with uh benny olson who's down in san antonio texas um with patriot dog training how, how many do you have the one location you got a couple we just got we have the one location but we have a satellite office that we've been testing up in dallas mm. um that's it's been going decent mm. yeah i think you really need somebody there full time but yeah we've got it's really nice if we pull dogs out of dallas to go be able to do a lesson and you know mm. have a spot to land at yeah, my son lives in Euless, Texas, and I have thought about have opening a location over there. And mainly because I was there two years ago, and we were hanging in yeah. Dallas, and we were at the Dallas Farmer's Market on like a Sunday. And there was 200 French poodles or French bulldogs there. Yeah. Like yeah, everybody, has, and they all live in apartments. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, the, the population there and, you know, just people are love, they love their dogs. Yeah. So I don't think, and, but the reason why we haven't done it is exactly what you're saying. Um, I, I can't move there yet. I wouldn't be able to do that. And finding the right person, people to go there or be there, recruit, as we know, is not not all that easy. Um, no. It's, uh, you, you, you definitely got to be around. Um, do you find, do you find, um, We'll get into the Navy stuff here in a second. That you need to have a physical location at the place, or just having phone and trainers is enough. Um, yeah, I think you need. I think you need somebody there. Yeah, yeah. Because I opened, we opened up a location in Pittsburgh uh, for my business, for my Ridgeside Canine business, and it's just we have 
Facebook page and a website and phone number, and we have trainers, but I don't have a physical location. And it's uh, slow going, and there's a lot of money in Pittsburgh, yeah. a lot. Yeah, people want to actually come and meet you. They want a place to go, and I think it, it's once you get down, like, hey, this is what what the process is. Like us, we bring the dogs back down to San Antonio, and some people don't like that, mm -hmm. like because it's such a far distance, but your dog could get lost. Like most of it is what if my dog gets lost? Well, if your dog gets lost in Dallas, like it's really no difference than it getting lost in San. And I've never lost a dog. Yeah. Um, so it's, that's your biggest hurdle is that they're just, their dog is that far away. And for the most part, they've, we've been able to massage that and it's doing all right, doing all right. Yeah. Well, uh, before we get in the Navy stuff, Ted, you guys, I know I saw online have, Done so much freaking work to your facility. What what's left, dude? Oh, uh, minor stuff. Some paint. We got to do a sign on the out on the street, but because of the way that our code is written, we got to. I don't really want to talk about the whole process because I'm sure some fucking dickhead city inspector from T from Tulsa is going to listen to this and be like, see, he said it online. Fucking. So anyway, there's some shit about a sign, some paint. Um, yeah. They want me to put a fucking Island in my parking lot. And I, this is the point now where somebody from the city shows up and I'm kind of like, what do you want? <laughs> Get out of here. And they're like, Oh, we're supposed to be here. I'm like, no, you're not get the fuck out of here. So um, I'm not, uh, yeah, I mean, just minor shit now. All the hard stuff is out of the way. There's required all the permitting, everything else. Put AstroTurf down. By the way, that shit is super heavy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, super heavy. We put the poles up. We got the tents up. We built new, um, built all those new kennels outside. And we're in, uh, the electrician was there today installing um, some super high amperage lines because we're running, I call them French fry heaters, but it's the heaters to keep those individual runs warm mm -hmm. for the wintertime. So, because they're not really big enough to put a full like doghouse in or anything, but I don't want the dogs to freeze and I don't want the lines to freeze and stuff. Yeah. So we're installing that. But yeah, it seems like it's a project here and there. It, you know, it's bleeding by four thousand dollars at a time. Yeah, well, yeah, nothing. <laughs> uh, one one so feels like time I want to buy something that's like forty five dollars. Yeah, no, it's it seems five hundred like and up. Everything. It's like every time it's like Alicia and I are talking, it's like, ah, oh, it's thirty seven hundred bucks, forty five hundred dollars by five it's this or it's that. And I'm like, oh, fuck my I just it's death by a thousand cuts, but every cut is four thousand bucks. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah. And then Google <laughs> then Google rips your throat out every fucking ten days. Yeah. You know. So but anyways. <laughs> yeah. God damn. If you Yeah. It's good. So, yeah. It's good. It's good. Right. At least we make yeah. the money yeah. to cover it. it. So anyways, it, it could back be worse. With, <laughs> Benny Olson and uh, down in down in San Antonio. Show that book again. We got the book came out with. I can't wait to get it. I've got I've got my book, but uh, all the rest of them are being shipped to the publisher right now. Nice. I got to go out and sign them. Nice. Uh, they were supposed to be here before Christmas. Uh, now they'll be there the twenty eighth, and then I'll go sign them. And uh, he should have sent out an email today to everybody because I keep on getting bombarded on every social platform by somebody I needed to change the address because it's been so long yeah. since we waited on the DOD or hey when's this thing coming out and I'm like I'm trying man yeah I'm really am are you gonna go on a tour or any of the like the seminars or any conferences signing books I haven't I, if somebody asks I mean what we're we'll reach out to people we'll, we're, I'm happy to do it um you know this book 
I've only had one negative, one negative person say, you know, it's a money grab, this and that. And honestly, uh, you know, I wanted two copies, one for each kid. And if it does really well, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. Mm -hmm. I'm blessed. You know, God will, will provide, but at the same time, like the money and selling as many as I can is not a, and I know it's bad as a business, like, cause we're all entrepreneurs, right. And we mm -hmm. want to make, you know, make money and do well, but that's not the driving force behind the book. But with that said, like, I will try to, you know, go speak. Cause I would love to tell people about my story. I would love to have them ask questions. And my favorite part of speaking is the Q and a part. Yeah. Because I get to really find out what people really want to hear. And, yeah. Yeah. Somebody so, send this to the hits guys. Yeah. <laughs> I'll talk, we'll talk to Pocono Joe too. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. A money grab. What year did you get out of the Navy? Excuse me. I got out in uh, 2013. Right. So, so, so I, you waited 10 yeah. years to do a money grab. Yeah. You know, I, <laughs> get the fuck out of here. Not to mention, I already have, well, I, mean, I have two businesses right now. I mean, one's still building, but I already have a business that does pretty well. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I don't know, man, it's, um, I don't, I don't quite get it, you know, and I wasn't a SEAL. So there's that aspect mm -hmm. from some people. It's like, how dare you? And I'm like, you guys are writing all these damn books. Like all I'm doing is writing about my life yeah. and where it took me. Some, like, some of those might not even be true anyways. Um, so, uh, all right. So you, you get to a school, you're going with, you're going through, you get out of that, which, where do they send you? Bahrain, your first duty station. So I, uh, you got to pick three duty stations on a sheet of paper and I wanted the hardest duty station I could get. And I wanted to go as far away as possible. And so I put Bahrain three times on that sheet of paper. <laughs> I was like, that's all I want to go. You had people picking Italy and Japan and, I had people are like, you're crazy. And, uh, I didn't care. Mm -hmm. Well, you got your wish, right? I did. And it, and it worked out well. I mean, when I got over there, you got a villa to sleep in. Uh, they first had you in a four star hotel cause they had no room to put people in the barracks cause they were building this place up so much. And a lot of opportunities came because of that decision that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Uh, just because, you know, when you, uh, want to be a dog handler, especially in the, in the fleet, uh, before you, when you get to your duty station, they want more time from you because the command ultimately is funding that for you to go to Lackland to go be a dog handler. And so they want you to stay lo there longer. And I was a single guy and I didn't mind being in Bahrain, like got to go to Dubai, mm -hmm. Dubai and the UAE. I mean, it was just, it was a good, good gig. Um, I wanted to be close to Iraq because that was the war that was going on. And I thought you would deploy out of there, but it turns out as a dog handler, they're pulling people from uh, the States or from Italy to go to the States to go train and then go to Iraq. So I didn't get to do that there. Oh, how did dogs come on your radar? <clears throat> so the uh, Department of Defendant School uh, dependent school defendants, dependent school is out there and, um, they're a bunch of kids, right? Like they're all these, all, all the, uh, servicemen and women have, you know, if you have kids over there, they get to go to the school. And so do some of the locals that have money and whatnot. And, uh, all the buses would come in front of the base every morning. And I remember standing in the gate one day and I saw, uh, the working dogs sweeping the buses. And I was like, 
I want to do that shit. It's cool. The handlers look like they're having fun and, uh, and you're protecting these children from, you know, bombs and whatnot. What, uh, had you ever seen a Malinois at this point? Did you know anything about dogs? No, I, I didn't. I did not know anything about a Malinois. I mean, obviously I knew what a shepherd was. Um, I didn't really learn about a Malinois until they put me in a bite suit and were like, Hey dummy, go out there and stand, which is the stupidest thing you can do to a new guy. Like not, not, not that you can just hurt me, but like, or hurt the new guy, but you can really hurt the dog. Cause you don't know shit. I mean, you could really jam up a dog and, and hurt and hurt it. So, uh, but that's the first time I ever, you know, got acquainted with a Malinois. Oh yeah. Ted and I talk about that a lot. Like I, I know he's the same. We really don't do even a lot of sendaways, a lot of long bites, and a lot of runoffs. And not really. I know what my first handler school in two thousand five. As a handler, there was I think five or six of us in the school, and it was just you go, you go, and you take off running. You you know, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. I don't know what happened. I'm I'm sure I landed on a couple dogs and you know stuff like that. Um, I don't. I don't even really enjoy having like doing a demo or, or having a friend put on even the dragon with the bite onto the dog. Uh, I'm not even, I I've done it. I do it. You know, I, I think the last one was my daughter when she was like, she's 21 now. I think she was about 20. Um, and I, she, the dog was on a table and I, you know, we walked her in and just put him on a tricep, but I didn't even like it then. Um, it's not a rite of passage, you know, no. like they try it. It's freaking stupid. They're, there's a lot of dogs, you know, been jammed up. Oh yeah. Uh, with next like that. Um, Ted, when you, so like, I know you got a bunch of guys working for you now. What's the, uh, the decoy process for your in-house guys? Like, uh, when somebody says they want a decoy, I had a new kid, uh, his name is Siren. Like that's his actual name. When he, re- when he replied, I was like, there's no way this kid, it's his name. It's his name. He's a great kid. Um, but uh, he worked for somebody else down in Texas for a while and kind of learned to decoy. And anytime somebody says they want to learn to decoy, I'm like, yeah, okay. Or they come to me and they say, I'm already a decoy. I'm like, I bet you are. We're going to find mm-hmm. out. Um, Siren actually surprised me. He's actually really safe. And um, the guy that he worked for, regardless of what I have personal feelings, the guy aside, but uh, he he's a good kid. But yeah, you if you decoy for us, you go through a pretty stringent process of me teaching and you doing like progressive stuff and you don't just to get like, no. And I have people offer all the time, right? I have handlers offer. I'm like, you do handler shit. Don't worry about decoying. Um, that said, like one of our previous guests, Anthony Moore, uh, who's one of our state guys and uh, OBN, he's a fantastic decoy and runs a huge training group. And then one of my other handlers is a really good decoy, but yeah, I, mm-mm like new people and there are people that want to get bit and i'm like all right you can put a sleeve on and i'll put a dog on a table like you do with vanessa like that's Mm -hmm. yeah and it's the dogs that target correctly they out they do all the shit that they do everything right right so i yeah i don't i don't i don't let i don't let people the most experienced person in the room is usually the one in the suit (laughs) or close to it that's for damn sure (laughs) so obviously obviously when they did that to you benny they didn't scare you off uh probably invigorated you a little bit I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, I was a young guy and <clears throat> thought I could outrun a dog, and that didn't really happen. Makes sense. Um, you, you can't. <laughs> you know, I, I think the the one thing to find out if somebody really wants it though is have them go be a kennel tech for six months and see if yeah. they enjoy cleaning up painted kennels of 
shit and everything else that the dog can do. And that's what they had me do. I mean, I can't tell you how many can we had a couple dogs at every time they just paint the damn kennel and mm-hmm. go clean it up. All right. You know? Yeah. Especially if you have kennels without a guillotine door and you got to get that dog out and it, that's, that's going to check your mud right there, buddy. That's what we have right yeah. now uh, in our current facility. And we actually just bought, we just bought a new place. So we're, we're moving away from all that bullshit. But um, I mean that the labor alone on that is just, you know, it's a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we're going back to guillotine doors just because that's, that's a ticket right there. Oh yeah. Yeah. We don't have that. So um, I, I'll come in and I have, you know, either my manager comes in early on Mondays and I have another girl that comes in early Tuesday through Friday. And I, I'm in there about eight thirty, and uh, I get in there and, if I hear them with a dog in the bathtub, you know, giving a bath, I'm like, ah, oh, you four, you, what did you walk in on? You know, for sure. There's, there's something yeah. going on there. Yeah. So how long did it take you to get to Lackland then? Um, six months, six months from the time that I got to uh, Bahrain. Um, they, I volunteered all my off time. So we were working port and starboard most of the time. So 12 hours. And then I'd go spend two or three hours at the kennel and then go home and sleep and rinse and repeat that. Um, the biggest thing is I couldn't have my qualifications drop or not do my qualifications for patrol work, uh, for just being a straight stick. And, uh, so I had to do both if I really wanted both. I couldn't just, you know, go volunteer at the kennel. That's not how it works. They ended up bringing me over full time though. I got all my qualifications for patrol work and they're like, okay, you, you, you've proven that you, you really want this. So they, they brought me over. When you had um, gone through MA school, did they, did they even talk about dogs there? They brought it in. Uh, they brought, no, they, not really. They brought the dog in to do, uh, like sweeps of the barracks, but that was about it. You know, look for drugs and whatnot. Yeah. So you get down there to, to Texas, um, what what'd you think? Uh, again, I was a young, young guy. So to be a dog handler before you had to be an E5. So, and you had to have some seniority in the military and I was a seaman. So I was an E3 and I was showing up in desert camp camouflage uniforms. Everybody else is in woodlands. I was getting shit on by these, uh, you know, these senior guys in the, in, in the Navy that were there, you know, they're like E5s and whatnot. And, um, finally this uh master chief came out and he's like you know he, sh- he shut all that shit down because he knew where i'd come from and um he's like he's authorized to wear it and but the whole time i mean i just i just got shit for it how'd you get to wave it again in e3 they were just accepting they they, they opened it up um, 9/11. I wasn't, yeah, yeah 9-11 basically, yeah, opened everything up and uh, unfortunate as it is, you know, um, but yeah, that opened everything up and I wasn't the first one for sure. I mean, there was guys that went before me just like it, um, just, you know, just like when I was with the SEAL, uh, SEAL team selected for them. I wasn't the first guy, I was maybe one of the youngest to um, ever start it uh, or go through it, but uh, certainly wasn't the first. So there were people already kind of paving the way. So basically what we've ever found from talking to a lot of guests that have went through Lackland is you get there, they have you train a dog that's older. It's been deployed a few times, got some training under him. It's not as difficult as a, getting a green dog. Is that what your experience was? 
No, I would I'd, I'd like to talk to those people because <laughs> we got no all the dogs that failed out. They're they're there as training dummies. Like you're you know, our hands fucking purple because the dog's dragging you all over the damn place. The dog doesn't out, doesn't release, you know, from the bite. Um or detection. The dog failed out of detection and it's just shit, it false responds everywhere and you're just like they expect you to be able to read the dog and you're like, dude, I can barely read a book. <laughs> I mean, come on. You know. But anyways, so uh yeah, man, it's uh, I, maybe it's different now. I don't know, but we had a lot of dogs that couldn't, you know, if they weren't adoptable, they'd go there. Um, and they knew who you were. It's funny how dogs just kind of pick up on that. You know, they're like, I'm going to drag this asshole all over the place. Yeah. Well, most, everybody we talked to is like, no, the dogs that I worked with at the, in Lackland were not the dogs we deployed with. When I deployed, then I no. got, or, you know, to a duty station, yeah. I got my dog. Um, yep. we just had, uh, a girl on uh, from Hit, Sarah Carver, and she Sarah. when yeah. she got to her station, her first dog, she said she, she was, was like, like the twelfth handler. handler of that dog. Yeah, eleven yeah. to twelve, dragging like, that bitch, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it was a dog that nobody wanted. She was in Italy. I, I, forget, I don't fucking I can remember. I, I'm pretty sure it was Italy. She's gonna send me a fucking text message here. Is <laughs> Instagram? She's like, no, dickhead. Um, so I'm pretty sure it was Italy. And but yeah, she was like, yeah, it was a 1200. I remember her telling a story. I'm like, God damn, that poor and son of a, a bitch. That, yeah, pouring them out, man. Yeah. That's, that's what they do. I don't yeah. know if I can say that. Yeah, whatever. So had, yes, you can. Did you hear about this the SEAL Team gig while you were there or after you got out? So when I got to, um, I went back to Bahrain and I still had time to serve there. So I had another two years, which I was fine because I was making good money and, you know, blowing it on everything, but making good money. And uh, I heard about it while I was there. I heard about it from a buddy and another guy uh, who was slotted to go there. I think he ended up getting a, like a DUI or whatever, really good friend of mine. Unfortunate how he had a little bit of wine. And over in Bahrain, it's no alcohol, mm -hmm. like even just a little bit. And um, so I heard about the command um, while I was over there. And a couple of them were slotted to go over there because they went and screened, uh, tested to go there. And uh, I was like, oh, that's cool. I don't really didn't find anything interesting about it because I, I really didn't ask too many questions, right? Like I was just more focused on getting back to the state side. I wanted to go down to Texas because uh, that's where I was told I would have the best opportunity for advancement. Ended up going to Texas. Found out that I was in Kingsville, Texas, and there's nothing that goes on in Kingsville, Texas. And I'd be surprised if there's anything that goes on today. I mean, I'm sure they got another Walmart or something, but, um, you know, I ended up going down there and I was, I felt like I was wasting away, honestly, because it was so boring. Um, they put me on another dog that, you know, was an older dog, had cataracts and whatnot. And it just, I started volunteering my time with uh, DPS down here in Texas. Cause I was like, screw this, I'm getting out. And um, I'm going to go take the test for this and see if I can get in into that. And uh, at about that time is when my buddy called me who was already at the command. And he had said, Hey, uh, you're pretty young, but the, I was 21 at the time, 20 years old, something like that. And, uh, he said, uh, you want a chance to come test? And I said, sure, absolutely. And, uh, I went up there and screened and that's when they accepted me. Uh, so you're walking there. You have no clue what's up. None at all. 
Uh, had you gained any weight at this point? Are you gotten any bigger? Nope. No. Nope. I was still like 140 pounds. Uh, well, I had to gain a little bit of weight, but I was still 140 pounds. Like I was real skinny. Um, so I went up there to screen and, uh, they took me through this PT test and I had this master chief. Uh, he was like, I don't know, 50 years old, this old, old guy. Um, I, I love him. He's just a great guy. And he was like five, seven or so. Um, and I'm like, this, I'm going to kick this dude's ass. Mm -hmm. And he was a seal. And, uh, I was like, I'm gonna kick this old guy's ass. And, uh, he ended up running me into the ground. I mean, he took me to the O course, you know, like a five mile run, O course, another five mile run, and then finish up with some pull-ups. And I could only do like a couple pull-ups cause I had never done that before. Like Navy, Navy test doesn't do pull-ups. Mm -hmm. So did the pull-ups did like two of them or whatever it was. And he's like, you know, you really should be a little bit stronger to do this job. And I'm like, okay. Like I've never done any of this. Like he took me on this O course where he had to climb up these, you know, ropes and shit. And I'm just, I was smoked. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing left. No. Ted, what were you doing when you were 21? Uh, racing my bike and I just, well, no, I graduated college at that point. When I was 21. I was a, my, th I was about to graduate college at that point and moved to Colorado to work for the sheriff's department. But yeah, that was, yeah, I had finished racing when I was like 20. Yeah. I was fucking doing dumb shit, racing my bike, was skipping class and like not doing, not making wise choices. <laughs> yeah. I was, you know what I was doing? Working in a strip club. Yeah. I was a DJ yeah. at a strip with club a pet monkey in Myrtle. I probably had the monkey then. <laughs> I got a stripper pregnant then too, so it was pretty good. My son is thirty-two now. <laughs> the one I was talking about lives in Eulis. Um so he's over here screening to to work a dog with uh, the command, and I'm keeping it in strippers. <laughs> what the fuck, dude! But I did own a monkey back then because I had piles of cash. I was like Mike Tyson before Mike Tyson. So, anyways, <laughs> so you get in there now. Um, these are dogs. When you start, when you get in there and you you successfully screen, these are dogs like you hadn't seen, right? No, I mean I screened with them. Um, so there's there's two parts of it. One was with the command, and one was with the kennel. Mm -hmm. And then you got to, you know, kind of go see some of the training and do that. And the kennel had to accept you too. So everybody oh. had to give you a thumbs up or down or whatever. Um, 100% so, everybody had to give it? I don't remember that, to be honest with you. I'm sure there were some that gave me a thumbs down just because of my age. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't do anything that would um, dis disqualify me, I don't think, when I was doing the screening process. So I'm sure because of how young I was. Because you got to remember, you know, a lot of these seals that are coming to this command, I mean, they're, you know, they've already done a couple of platoons and they're older. Um, you know, they're being put through the ringer there. And, uh, I think, you know, what they go through there is harder than buds is what I've been told. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was, I don't think it was a hundred percent though. No. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be a tough one to get a hundred percent on that. Um, did yeah. you, did you have to go back to Bahrain? Did you find out while you were there? So no, I was in Kingsville, Texas oh, Kingsville, already. Texas, yeah, um, right. So I went back to Texas and I was like, you know, there, I'm going to end up having to finish out my time here another two years. Well, sure as shit. I got a call like two weeks later. Hey, we're, 
we're going to, we're pulling you. Um, they had some special waiver where that command gets to, you know, as long as the CEO releases me from the base and thank God, my, um, the lady named Jill, she was, uh, uh, MA one of master at arms. She was a first class, uh, E six. She was a kennel manager at the time and, uh, our kennel supervisor. And she, uh, she's like, yeah, we don't need them. And so if, as long, because she said that, that was one of the reasons why I was, I was able to be released. So I'm grateful for that. Um, so up, up to that point, do you, do you know, um, how long the MAs had been getting attached to the command at that point? No, I mean, they've been getting attached to that command. I, again, I don't know the dates, but I know it was before 2006, um, you know, that they were being a- attached to the command. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Hmm. And I ended up getting there in 2007, uh, I think February of 2007. Oh, so it's still a relatively new program. Yeah. Yeah. So you get there. We, we talked about it in the last episode or the first time you were on about, um, again, guys go back and take a look at it. We won't delve into it too far. Uh, what was expected of you as far as keeping up with them? You know, just not to kill any one of them and not to get myself killed. So I had to be, I had to learn, you know, uh, CQB, um, the medical stuff, you know, they take you out and you do a, a goat lab. You know, you have to keep a goat alive, you know, or a pig lab, keep a pig alive, um, navigation, stuff like that. But mainly it was just a, you know, not, not get anybody else killed or yourself killed. Could you shoot? Yeah. 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 I mean, I had, I, I had not had like extensive, like the Navy, I had the Navy's qualification, but Mm I, when they took us through the course, um, there was a couple courses, civilian courses they took us through because I had not learned a lot of bad, bad, um, behaviors. I did, did okay. Yeah. When I was on our SWAT team, um, I, one of the reasons I got selected for sniper on there is cause I didn't grow up with my dad's hunting rifle with my elbow way up. And I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, I had really never fired a bolt action rifle at that point. I was good on an M4, good on a pistol. And, uh, so I didn't have any of the. The bad habits. Yeah, that was right. the same story when we had Marshall on from the Secret Service, Hurricanes Handler. Yeah. And he talked about the first time he ever fired a gun was in when he became a Secret Service agent. Yeah. And they were like, it's not a bad thing. I'm like, it, it's not. You're right. I said, you guys do realize I am I have Tourette's, though. So you're putting a, me behind that fucking <laughs> rifle and I'm a fucking fidget and I can barely sit still. So um, We've had some other guys on from that community that we're talking about, and um, several of those guys uh, have said, you know, I wanted to go into that tiered into those units, and every member of every squad and every unit, every member in there that makes it past selection is a shooter. And if you think you're going to be successful going in there and shooting better than anyone that's in that in any of those units. And that that's somehow your magic way in like every single one of those guys is a trigger puller. And so a lot of those guys were like, I had to figure out something else to do, whether it's dogs or intelligence or medical or something. If I wanted to like get some, get some time, like I can't go in and be like, yeah. And so it was, it's interesting to hear. And I have friends that we've never had on the podcast that have been in parts of those units and they're like, and they're fantastic shooters. 
they're like, I'm not even that good. I'm like, eh, I disagree. And they're like, no. Yeah. And yeah. So if you're listening to this, cause we hear that all the time, cause I'm sure you get that com- question all the time. Like, well, how do I get into handling? How do I get into this? How do I get into that? You know, I want to be in that unit. And you're like, don't focus on shooting. <laughs> cause no, you will, you will not you beat there. those dudes. That's the whole reason why I got there was, I mean, with no other reason it was because of the dogs. Yeah. Cause I, yeah. Yeah. So if you listen to a podcast with, uh, like professional athletes, say we'll say football players, they always have. A, they'll ask, "What was your welcome to the NFL moment? What was your welcome to the command moment? Do you like during training anything good or bad? Where they're like, hey, fucker,' or hey, fucker, that was pretty good.' Um, no, I think it was just walking up into the team room when I finally got assigned to uh, the squadron I was with, and just you know, some of the guys were like, "You're here to do what?" And I'm like, yeah, he's like, yeah, they're like, yeah, he's, he's your dog handler. And they're like, okay, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Did the, yeah. Did the, re- the needle go across the record when you walked in er, and everybody look at you? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, well, people didn't really know who I was and we had Intel guys and stuff coming in there. So, mm-hmm. but once, once I started going out and doing house runs and stuff and people started seeing me running with them, um, you know, it, you get under the, under the mic, uh, under the looking glass, mm-hmm. right? Like, just yeah that's it yeah i can't imagine it that would be uh uh i give i give you credit for getting in there man um so let's let's go forward you got uh let's talk about your dog yep i got assigned digo who was this little demon um he got kicked out of another squadron because he kept on biting uh assaulters and just everybody that he wasn't supposed to bite but he was a really really great dog i just needed some direction and that's that's why they put him on, put me on him because I had the handling skills. Um, you know, I just needed to figure out how to guide him to, to doing the right thing. Had, uh, how old was he? Uh, he had been not two years old, two years old, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one of the, uh, trainers there or handlers, he was an older guy, Joe. He said that when they went and selected him, he just, as soon as he walked out on the field, over in Holland or wherever they got him, they're like, "This is this dog's serious. Mm-hmm. Like he's got got the business." Um, it's a crazy parallel because when we had, um, I'm sure you know Trent mm-hmm. uh, from Rangers. Um, Trent handled Benno, and it was the same story when he became the handler for that unit. They were like, "Here's your dog," and they gave him the one that nobody wanted. It was the one that kept fucking biting everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And Trent was like, I can do this. And he was like, and secretly he's like, no, I can't fucking do this. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting to hear the parallels. Yeah. So let, let's do a two part question. One, how did you mitigate the biting Two, knowing what, you know, everything now about dog behavior, what would you have done differently to mitigate the biting? Ooh, to mitigate the biting, um, you know, really setting up the training scenarios to where, um, like having the decoy or even a decoy that doesn't have equipment on, uh, we used to dress them up in, you know, the clothes that they wore over there, uh, showing him that picture with the team right next to me and him running past the team and actually engaging the bad guy, um, doing it in low light to no light. That was the, that was the biggest, biggest thing that I could think of that, you know, we could have, that we did. Yeah. Uh, anything you would um, do different now, knowing what you know? 
Man, the use of the electronic collar, I really didn't know a lot about it back then. And we did use it, but I don't think, I think if I could do it all over again, I would teach the dogs a little bit differently with the e-collar. You know, back then it was slap an e-collar on a dog to, to make them stop doing something versus now, you know, we use it and the dogs are motivated and they're jacked and they're just excited to put the collar over their head. Mm-hmm. The, uh, was it, was Digo the blow up when you got blown up? Yeah. Digo was, yeah. Digo was, a he was a big part of my life. Um, him and I are, you know, kind of inter- intertwined forever since then. Um, so yeah, I got to, uh, I, you know, I got to the command in February, 2007, uh, graduated the, uh, the support course that they had there in July of 2007. So a few months later was assigned Digo that uh, that month, um, you know, and <laughs> I just laugh every time because I remember going out there and taking a bite from him just to kind of see, I know, I know there's a lot of handlers that don't believe you should do that, but I absolutely kind of wanted to see where his, where his bite was. Cause it's just one of those things I just wanted to know. And, um, I ended up doing workups with him and the team. So not only was I learning the dog, at a different level and then also learning how the team moves and the different scenarios. So I was like sucking through a, you know, fire hose, like trying to just pick up everything I could. And we ended up deploying, um, late December, early January of 2008. So literally, I don't know, 10 months after I showed up there, I'm leaving and going with the dog and running with the team. We get over to Bakabai, Iraq and I write about this in the book. Um, it was a town notoriously uh, known for IEDs and uh, notoriously known for houseborne IEDs. So they rigged the houses to blow up. And we primarily would target um, that network to um, hit the people that were, were doing that. And so we go out on a few missions and I write about it in the book. Digo is having a ton of success. I mean, just eating people's throats. I mean, just, he's just doing, he's just a badass. And, um, you know, everybody always asked me why he gravitated towards the head. I have no idea. I mean, I think it was because of the screaming and I think it intensified his fight. And I think that's where the source is, right? So, um, it's really successful. Uh, we go out one night and we're told that, uh, told that we only can take one dog and they wanted Digo because Digo had developed this reputation for just being a badass, and he was finding finding everybody. Uh, he didn't miss a miss a guy, which you know sometimes dogs do. And uh, uh, we ended up taking strikers, these eight wheel eight wheeled vehicles out. Um, you're like in a, like a little tuna, and it feels like you're in like a little sardine can. And we go into the city of Bakaba, and. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of eerie. You know, I, I carried a couple bottles of like, uh, food, uh, like empty water bottles. Cause there's why there's dogs everywhere. And we're going down the middle of the city, just patrolling in and knocking out lights and everything we can. Uh, we get up to a building and, uh, the, we start doing a call out, basically asking the people, Hey, come out. We're here to, you know, search the compound. We're looking for such and such person. First couple people come out, no problem. Uh, I don't know what happened to the next two people that they thought it would be a smart idea, but they came out with AKs and they got lit up right in the doorway. Ended up dropping two uh, two people right in the doorway and 
um, you know, kept calling more people out. They came out just fine. Uh, we were told that there was one more person in there. Um, so we had one person go back in and say, Hey, come on out, you know, take down all the, the sheets and everything. Cause we want the dog to be able to go in and, and move around. And we wanted to be able to kind of see in a lot of the different doorways before we went in there. And so, uh, lady comes back out and I believe either she or the sniper, um, said that he thought he saw another person in there on his thermal goggles. And when you look at the video, which I can't show because, um, you know, cause we lost our EOD operator that night and it just, I would never, never show what happened to him like that. Um, you could see like just a little glimpse of somebody like on the third, on the second balcony, like going into the third level. And, uh, so we dropped a couple guys in the doorway and I already know Digo is going to go hit the dead guys. Cause that's what they do. They just, they love dead prey. Um, it's an easy bite, but anyways, uh, the team leader says, Hey, uh, dog up, get the dog ready, dog up. And so I, you know, grab Digo by his vest and, uh, unclip him. And I get up to the next Neil, next team leader. I say, dog up. And he says, send it. It's like my favorite, favorite words ever. Send it. I just, I, I love mm-hmm. it. And, um, so I gave him the, uh, uh, the Stelling command or the rolling R. Um, I can't do it right now. Roll my tongue. So mm-hmm. he goes out, fires out, and uh, he goes immediately for the doorway. His nose goes up, and he fucking nails the two dudes that were there and starts tearing at them. And, um, again, it's not – this right here is, like, real scenario. Like, we're not practicing his bite or anything. We're trying to see if they're playing possum. He goes in, bites, and I end up calling him off with the electronic collar because he was just so engaged with it. And I go to the team leader. I said, I can't get him to go past these dead people. He's just not going to do it. You know, it's like kind of that moment where it's it's the dog, like it's an animal. They're going to do what they want. We didn't, we hadn't practiced on moving past people. I mean, it's really a hard thing to simulate. Um, I mean, you can simulate a, a decoy knot you know, being inactive, but then like, you know, it's like one of those things, like if you start correcting him for not to go past the decoy, he's going to probably skip past a a guy. Like you could just, there's so many scenarios that can go on with that. So, uh, I tell my team leader, we can't, I can't do it. Um, so he makes the call to move up to the, uh, to move up to the, the building. And I see this big bay window and I'm like, Oh, this is perfect. Uh, this guy's never going to know this Digo's coming in cause they're going to expect us to come through the doorway. And so if he is sitting there, um, if he is sitting there barricaded in one of the corners, he's not going to see Digo coming through the doorway. And, uh, so we move up to the building. I get down on both knees right in front of the window. Um, the team leader says, I'm going to throw a frag grenade out. I'm going to soften up the bottom floor of the building and then we'll send the dog. And so, I get down on both knees. I have the dog still attached to me. I haven't untouched him yet. And I have an operator right next to me. And all the guys are stacked up at the doorway. And I said, okay, cool. I'm going to send my dog through the window. He says, uh, frag out over the radio, frag out, frag out, frag out, chucks it in. And I know how long it takes for those things to kind of go off. So I kind of keep my head ducked. I hear it go off. And then I lift my head up just very so slightly. And I feel this like immense back, like this immense pressure build up in my face. And I just was like, 
I never felt this, you know, um, breaching a doorway or anything and, uh, in practice, in training. And so I was like, for a split second, I was like, something's wrong. And then that moment I woke up underneath a pile of rubble and I couldn't see anything. I couldn't move. Um, uh, my dog was nowhere near me. Digo had actually, it snapped the buckle, the metal buckle, like, you know, on your dog leash. Um, the, the force was so strong that it snapped that buckle and sent Digo like 20 feet away. And I thought I was buried alive, to be honest with you. Um, at first I didn't know where I was. And then I remembered I was on an op. And then I, I thought that the guys, like somebody forgot about me. And I don't know why that, like, that would never happen. Like we don't leave anybody behind, but for a split second, you're just like, I, I'm, I'm here alone. And I think I'm, I think I'm buried alive is what I, what I thought. So, um, so anyways, we, I'm under this pile and I could hear muffled voices around me. Cause it took a while for like, if you watch the video, it took a while, for, a while for them to kind of get in there. And I had, um, there's a lot of wires and everything. So they're trying to be careful. Uh, Louie was underneath Louis Safrant. So if anybody's watching this, you go Google Louis, Louis Safrant and you read about him because my story is great, but I mean, he, you know, he paid the ultimate sacrifice and I'd love for people to hear, learn about him. He's underneath the carport. The carport's like a foot thick. Um, they're trying to get him out. I start to see some light and, um, I see some familiar faces, this guy named Chuck. And he's like, Benny, is that you? And I'm like, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm here. And um, he uncovers my face. And eventually they uncover my arms. And uh, they say, hey, your dog's trying to bite everybody. Like Digo is just biting everybody. He's biting this brick. And uh, so they asked, they said, hey, do you got a muzzle? And I always carried a, mu a mesh muzzle on me. And I carried a, a ram muzzle from Ray Allen. And, uh, I reach into my pocket with my left wrist and, um, my left wrist is just, I reach down and it hurt so bad. I looked up and my wrist is like dangling there, you know? And, um, so I had shattered or fractured my wrist and, uh, I reach in with my other hand, grab the, grab the muzzle, give them the muzzle. And then, uh, they start to uncover the rest of me. And I looked at my legs and I'm like, oh shit, my legs like going that way and this leg's going that way like that ain't right but I didn't think much of it because I couldn't really feel anything because I was there was so much um shock and adrenaline and everything else running through me and finally I started to cool down a little bit and they're like hey we're gonna pick you up and we're gonna move you so they grabbed me by each arm and as soon as they lifted me like three inches off the ground I let out the biggest you know biggest scream I could possibly probably have um, the guys, some of the guys said they had never heard somebody scream like that before. Well, both of my femurs were shattered. Um, one in five places, one in another place. Like I have a picture in my book of the x-ray. Um, and uh, they put me back down immediately. And they used all of the litters for the other guys. Um, they I don't think they realized how bad I was hurt. I mean, some guys had, you know, ankles and stuff like that. Um, but I had, you know, two fractured femurs and I was just laying there and they let me lay there for a good while while they assessed everything else. Uh, meanwhile, they finally get Louie out of under, out from underneath. They load him up in the striker. Um, he had 
he had uh, passed away. I didn't know that at the time. They come back over to me and they said, hey, we're going to load you up and we're going to take you and put you in the striker, but we're going to, this is going to hurt. Uh, they ended up taking four guys, grabbing me by my legs, by my shoulders or armpits or whatever, and uh, brought me over to the striker and um, they, they laid me right on top of uh, like half on top, right next to Louie. And um, I don't know, man, it's uh, I've laid next to him face to face and it just was a, I don't know. It was just a shitty experience. I mean, I just, no other way to put it. Um, I was happy that looking back that, you know, I knew he wasn't alone. I wasn't alone. I think he kept me alive to be honest with you. Cause it was warm and I was like freezing, like in shock. And when I, when they laid me on top of him and next to him, I, I felt like I didn't know if everything was gonna be okay, but I felt like I wasn't by myself. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the story. I don't know if you have any questions, but I kind of rifled off and I talked a lot. Yeah, that's all right. I uh, I can't believe when they carry you, you're not you don't faint or like black out. I, I did black out. Yeah, no, I blacked out oh, yeah. several times. Even on the helicopter, they ended up driving those strikers out into a field, and they have helicopters that are spe- specially designed that have you know um, full medical teams on board. And so I blacked out on there. I could hear Digo, Digo fucking just Digo going nuts, and you feel bad for the dog. But I will tell you, if you read my book, um, I did have a couple of Jesus moments and I don't know what your guys' faith are and it, and it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just, I share mine. And um, I knew I wasn't alone in that rubble. Um, the, the girl that came and visited me while I was passed out, it was not, you know, I, I felt like God sent her there. And if you, if you read the book and you hear that story, um, I don't know how else other, it, you know, I don't know how else other that is God coming into my life. So, um, and then she came back, uh, while I was passed out sleeping in the hospital later. I mean, I'm just, I want people to know, like, I couldn't have gotten through this without, without Jesus. Like I just, um, you know, that's another reason why I want people to know, know, you know, know the story, but, uh, I'm sorry. I, I kind of threw that all in there, uh, rambling on, but no. So I, I did blackout, I blacked out several times. Who put the muzzle on Digo? I believe it was, I believe it was, uh, I believe Chuck did. So Chuck, I think it was Chuck that came over to me, um, and, and got the muzzle. Uh, he bit, I mean, I think he bit a couple people too. Uh, the other guys got other versions of the story. Um, I mean, it's all accurate. I, it's just their perspective of it. And, um, I thought I was underneath the rubble for, a couple minutes, but really it was, you know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds. Man. Yeah. That's good. good old Chuck, man. Yeah. He's like, fuck. Got it. It's got to get done. Right. Yeah. Somebody's got to do it. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's one of those guys, you know, watch your throat. Fucking put that <laughs> muzzle on. All right. So we're, that's a wild story. We talked about that story before, um, uh, on the previous episode, uh, that you're on. Um, if you go back and listen to that and you read the book, he'll, he gets more into Digo and that whole thing, like Digo's, uh, physical stuff like that. So we don't want to give away everything. What we are going to do though, is we're going to go ahead and take a break. We come back. Uh, we're going to talk about, um, getting into business and the book 
and uh, yes. a little bit of that. So stick around and we'll be back. All right. Some of our oldest sponsors are the Pergasons down in North Carolina at Highland Canine Training. We love those folks. We see them everywhere. All the stuff that we do, we go to, we have a good time with them. But the fact is they're really good dog trainers. They're really good dog people. They got full courses uh, in person and online. They got a trainer, uh, dog trainers course uh, that you can go down there and learn how to train working dogs, uh, pet dogs, everything. Uh, they do a lot of business stuff on there. Um, but one of the best things they have is an online supervisor course. The course discusses topics such as proper selection of dogs, handlers, proper deployment, and FLSA issues. 30% off with that with a discount code WDR30. Great people down there. They know their stuff. Uh, TacticalPoliceK9Training.com is the website. TacticalPoliceK9Training.com. WDR30 for 30% off the online supervisor's course. Guys, you need to get on there and check them out. They are great. Highland Canine Training. Don't miss out. One of the longtime sponsors of the show is Dogtra. Eric and I are actually both field staff guys. So uh, Dogtra has been committed for over 20 years to crafting training college to perfect precise fit and finish and intuitive design and, account and accountable performance. The 1900 SE collar demonstrates what they strive for, which is an ultimate dog training tool that is durable, dependable, and designed for the most demanding conditions. And I actually use this thing at the kennel. They have the new black one that has the lock and the boost feature on it as well, as well as the hands-free, which we use a ton. If you guys follow me on social media, you see that I use that during tracking. We do that negative reinforcement trick, which is what the, that's the collar that we're using. The other thing is the YS600. So funny fact, that stands for yo, shut up the number mm -hmm. of times that you won't have to say it because it works every time. So use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off any single item over 200 bucks. And of course, they also have the popper and the dropper, which I think I have five of the kennel I use all the time. So hit them up, dogtra.com, WDR10 for 10% off a single item over 200 bucks. It's no secret that Eric and I love Ray Allen Canine Equipment. We use their products every single day. Mission statement says it all. To be a world leader in quality and innovation of professional canine equipment for police, military, Schutzen, and ring sport. To exceed our customers' expectations and to deliver on time every time at a fair price. We full-heartedly believe they held true to that. Since it's our go-to one-stop shop for everything. Like, they literally have everything but the dog, the handler, and the patrol vehicle. Everything else, they got. They got it covered. So hit them up at Ray Allen dot com at ray allen canine on the socials they got a new training app and they got new product collaborations oh and we have a new discount code ram wdr like ram r-a-m wdr like working dog radio ram wdr for 10 percent off hit them up ray allen.com it's no secret that i love my alm suit from arno out at alm canine equipment in sunny las vegas nevada I've had that thing forever. Eric affectionately refers to it as my Carhartt suit because it's so thin. <laughs> uh, I've had multiple sleeves put back on it, send it back to Arno. He fixes me up every single time. The fit and finish is top notch, and it fits me like a glove. I refuse to go anywhere without it. I work sport dogs and PSA without it. I just did a trial in California wore that thing. I work police dogs pretty much every day of the week, and then I use it for personal protection dogs as well. So hit ALM canine equipment up on Instagram and Facebook, and then go to AL. M K nine letter K number nine equipment.com and use the discount code WD radio for 10% off of your first order. And this is completely custom. So made to measure, pick your colors, whatever you want to do. Arno will work with you. You can make it as thin or as thick as you want, but hit them up. ALM K nine equipment.com. Dreamed of having your own kennel, but don't know where to start. 
Horizon Structures has taken all of the guesswork out of building a kennel. Everything is pre-built to your specifications and preferences and then assembled and dropped off on your land. Boom, new kennel. Hooked up to your electric, hooked up to your water, put dogs in it that day. And those things are amazing. You've got to see them to truly believe them. Get on the website, horizonstructures.com. You can custom build. You can buy one that's already built. Go off of their design. Come up with your own design. They'll work with you. Uh, they always are running discounts on the website with ready-to-go kennels. The kennels are already ready to go. There's always discounts. Horizonstructures.com. Check them out. Everybody, we are back. Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite. Myself and Ted are here with uh, Benny Olson uh, down in uh, San Antonio. Um, I- I've been to San Antonio once. Ted and I were down there doing a, a HRD seminar, and uh, no, I liked it. Had a good time. When was that? Allison, that was good. Uh, man. 2018 probably 19 maybe yeah like that was like the very first hrd with bear county sheriff's office and joseph canales and uh who's still a handler down there great dude um with the county sheriff's yeah. office i think he's their like head canine he's got to be now um but yeah i mean they're yeah god it was back in the day yeah that was a long yeah it was yeah. our very first uh seminar that him and i did together um so anyways, uh, he just told a, a, a wild, wild story when he's working with the command over in uh, in the war, getting uh, a house basically demolished on top of him. Um, so when I was there and when I was out with the program in 13 into 14, I think they were past the the house IEDs, I think. Um, we were still real. They were still real big on pressure plates and. Yeah, a lot of route clearance work, um, and then just prior to my getting there, there was a a real big uh, deal with the Rangers. Some Rangers got blown up, uh, and that was a clacking off vest. And I think that house was wired up too. That was early yeah. thirteen, I think. So um, I hadn't obviously civilian had never heard any of that stuff. So, um, so uh, I'm assuming. Um, the five years it took you to get out was convalescing. No, no. I uh, ended up doing. Uh, sorry, I ended up doing uh, four more depl- three, uh, four more deployments. Jesus, how so much I, metal do you have in your legs, dude? <laughs> I have two rods in my femur and then a plate in my wrist. But uh, I ended up recovering from my injuries, like pushing myself as hard as I could, and I redeployed. Um at the end of December of that year that I got blown up. So both femurs, I, I don't know how I did. Again, I, I go back to God cause I couldn't have done it without, without him. And, um, you know, honestly, like that's the, the, my childhood and all that stuff leading up. That's what the perseverance and the grit, you know, uh, is what I just not, not going to, you know, I had doctors telling me you're going to be medically retired, this and that wasn't having any of it. And, um, one of the, quotes I put in the book is, uh, an operator, uh, he's a good friend of mine. Now the angry Korean is what I label him in the book, but he said, you know, I would have never expected one of our own to come back from that, let alone you. And I butchered that up, but basically, cause I was a master at arms, right? Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't a Navy SEAL. Um, but I wasn't going to let anything keep me from doing that. And, uh, yeah, I went back and I redeployed. That's, that's wild. Uh, did it change your height? Are you shorter or taller? 
Man, actually, no lie. I know one of your legs is normally longer than the other anyways. But yeah, no, it's my femurs. If I were to like lay down and you were to look at my knees, one femur is, is definitely shorter than the other. <laughs> That's yeah. I bet it's uh, pretty interesting to see. How's the wrist? You still get, you get pain in it? Yeah, it won't bend a certain way. And, uh, you know, luckily, so Digo bit me before the deployment. And my my whole hand was numb. Mm-hmm. Like I, they couldn't figure out what nerve was doing it. And uh, after that house blown up, and after I broke my wrist, I got all the feeling back. So, yeah, oh, it worked. <laughs> yeah, it worked out. No, no. Yeah, <laughs> I got bit. Uh, I don't know. It's been a month. And uh, at a seminar I was doing, and I still this this here's all numb through here. Yeah, I'm hoping that thing settles down a little bit, you know. But uh, it's still it's still pretty numb. So you, you go back four more time, four more. Yeah, uh, went to Afghanistan three times. One dog each time, different dogs each time. Uh, different dogs each time. Uh, when I went back to when I went back right after I got blown up nine months later, I took over a dog because Digo was having issues. And they wanted me just to swap out Digo, and I ended up convincing my physical therapist and the surgeon to say, hey, I was good to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I was going to ever be 100%, but 95 is pretty damn good. And uh, I just said, hey, I'm gonna, I want to take this dog over and work this dog. And I'll, excuse me, I'll help the handler that's having issues with Digo. So Digo, he would go into a building, come right back out. He just was not searching deep and... We don't know why. I mean, it could be a, due to a little bit of that that explosion. Um, he ended up not not serving too much longer after that. I mean, he ended up uh, being adopted out uh, to Mike Ritland mm-hmm. uh, Warrior Dog Foundation and uh, doing that. So, uh, I think yeah, I don't think it's a, a stretch to figure out why he wasn't going yeah. into the buildings yeah. anymore. Um, my third dog on the department. He, he he sucked to begin with, but uh, we went to a burglary at a industrial a church or something, and the woo woo the alarm going off freaked him out so bad. I could, we ended up having to shit can him yeah. just over the alarm, not getting blown up, just a fucking loud alarm. And yeah, one yeah one instance yeah, can really us, hurt. Yeah. Ted and I have talked about this before with each other. It's a singular learning event for dogs. Yeah. It's hard to overcome. It, that's a that's a tough one to overcome. So who's the dog on the picture in the book? That's Brando. That was my last deployment in 2012 uh, to Afghanistan. Um, that deployment actually broke me. I, uh, I I could deal with my own injuries and everything, uh, but losing people is just a whole different, a whole different mental fuck or whatever you want to call it. Um, extortion one seven happened. Um, there's a whole troop of guys that I knew and uh you know I like to call him my little brother Jet Lee John mm-hmm. Duandara um man we did everything together in the deployment or the work up to that deployment even the conversation before they went out that night and uh I just couldn't do it I uh I finished that deployment I didn't want to go home cuz I just wanted to continue to work and um you know fight the bad guys but uh, yeah, that, that, that broke me. Um, 
I write in the book, Contemplated Suicide and all of that. Uh, I was already addicted to opiates because of my, my legs. Um, I can't tell you how many biking and I was popping just to kind of stay, stay, uh, in the game. And yeah, it was pretty bad. So that was my last appointment with Brando and a lot of good stories about him in there. Um, you know, it was, it was a fun deployment up until that happened. And then that happened and it just, I didn't feel the same. Yeah, Ted likes to call dogs like that a giant swamp donkey. That dog is huge. <laughs> yeah. 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 He, he's freaking yes, huge. Swamp. So yeah. who who um who stepped in and told you, look, dude, uh what's going on? Like or did you did you or were you self aware where you had to say this is it? I was I was self aware. I told my wife, um I said I can't do this no more. Uh I'm ready to go back to the fleet. Uh, regular Navy. And so that's what I did. Well, little did I know that, you know, mo the op tempo goes completely down. You don't do anything. And, uh, I ended up being the kennel master over at Little Creek and had my own office. And, uh, man, I would drive to work and just cry because I, and I would pull over and cry, uh, because I didn't know what was wrong with me. And over at Little Creek, the SEAL team's over there, too. So the helicopters are always doing training. And all I could think about is, you know, what I used to do and, you know, why I left it. And uh, and I was a chief at the time. I made chief while I was there. And uh, no one can see the chief cry. You know, like, you got to be tough and leader and this and that. And a bunch of bullshit because at the end of the day, we're human, too. And I'd pull over and just, you know throw a pity party and cry. And then I'd make my way into work, you know, pop some bike it in. And, uh, I told my wife again, that if I keep doing this, I'm probably not going to be around much longer. And so, um, I said, I'm ready to go for a medical retirement. I talked to the surgeon and he said, you could have done this years ago. Um, and I was having a hard time with my legs, like without the bike it in, I, I couldn't, I mean, it just hurt too much. So, uh, ended up going and doing a medical retirement. I had to fight with the VA a, a little bit, not too much. I mean, they were giving me like 10% per, per leg for my VA disability, just stupid stuff. And um, at, surprisingly enough, PTSD was like 50%. But I uh, got medically retired and I was like, I never want to do anything with dogs again. I don't want to do any of this. And, uh, I got my real, real estate license. I thought I wanted to do that. And then, uh, the neighbor down the street was like, Hey, I will pay you to train my dog to do a couple things. It's jumping and whatnot. And they gave me like 500 bucks. Cause I worked with it a few times. And that's when I realized that you could actually make money doing things you love. I just kind of had to figure out, okay, do I still love this? And the answer was yes. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, it was just a really eye-opening experience for me. Yeah, Ted and I talk a lot, and I, I talk about it in my uh, my seminars all the time. Is if you want to, like, and and I'm sure Ted's trained a lot. We both trained a lot of police dogs, right? But I yeah. thought I was pretty good until I started training pet dogs, and then took that stuff and put it back onto the working dogs, and how much better I became. Yeah. Training the working dogs. I don't know if Ted, that's been your experience. Yeah, and because it's reps, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and I mean, 
I had the conversation with somebody earlier today about some of your e-collar stuff about why positive punishment doesn't work because it inevitably turns into negative reinforcement once the dog learns how it works and that's why dogs become collar smart and blah anyway but yeah i mean you learn real quick that and obviously with pet dogs as they're not these super gnarly you know working like shepherds or malinois you can't just you can't just nuke everything and everybody and all the dogs and you have to be real like <clears throat> subtle and you got to be very quick and so yeah it definitely makes you better well, sure. and the reputation for electronic collars too, like they have such a bad name, bad rap already, you know, and I've, I've convinced some purely positive trainers, you know, that are, that are fucking against e-collars, but they see, they can see uh, yeah. it. You know, we talked about this before we started recording about behaviorists and Eric's vein is going to pop out on his forehead. Um, but, you know, I mean, I just, I can't engage with those people that, that they like, the two ends of the spectrum, like I can't engage with. And then I, I always kind of like lead with this, with those purely positive people. I'm like, you do realize that like the second largest population of dogs in the United States are n exempt from your conversation all the time. And that's hunting dogs. Um, purely positive people act like they don't exist. And huh. all three of us know really talented hunting dog trainers and they yeah. are almost exclusively negative reinforcement e-collar trainers and positive reinforcement people just act like, I mean, there's hundreds of, I mean, there are three e-collar companies in this country that are multi-million dollar companies that survive just on sales to the hunting world. Yeah. And positive fucking reinforcement shithead trainers want to just, they're like, those dogs don't exist. I'm like the fuck they don't. There's millions of them. I live in <laughs> one of the largest states in the country where they exist. Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Kansas are like ground zero for bird and gun dogs. Yeah. And they are fucking everywhere. And there's some super talented trainers in that industry. But, you know, when you mention that, they're like, well, that's different. That's different. I'm like, the fuck it is. It's still a dog. So I, I can't engage with those people. Yeah. I just, I refuse to. Yeah, no. it's it's tough to deal with. They they can't answer a lot of things. So, but yeah, I, I tell everybody, you know, working with working dogs is easy uh, because they'll work for a, They'll kill for a toy and they'll kill for food and yeah. no pet dogs will work for toy and fucking half of them will work for food. So you got to become yeah. good and smooth with a leash and a collar, e-collar, how, how more finesse you get to be and, and, and actually, you know, really do make some significant changes in people's lives with the dog. You guys are probably like me. I notice uh, it's crazy how many leads we get on it. 10 p.m. on a Saturday night. Yeah. You know, or Sundays. And it's like, this is the people that it's just, they've had it. They couldn't do it anymore. You know, yeah. spend yeah. some time. So you come back, you, you figure this out. Uh, Patriot dog training is very successful. I've been watching you a long time. I'm real proud of you. Um, I'll be again, down. I'll be, like, I don't make no videos. So yeah, I just, just watch, just, just seeing you continuing to do it. I check in on your social media. You're still out there doing it. And um, like I said, you were one of the first that I talked to that I was like, hmm, all right. Yeah, maybe, maybe I can. Uh, and dude, it was April when we talked in August, I think, is when I started doing yeah. the, the pet dogs. Um, me and another person, another trainer. And now I had, I had, I don't know. 15 trainers just recently 
got rid of a couple, but um, Jesus, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I had I had to downsize a little bit, but um, it, it's a self fulfilling prophecy with some of these morons um, that I that I've had to deal with. But yeah. So uh, where did the uh, where did the book come? Like, what what you think about for a while or? 2013, uh, when I got out, I realized I, I did not journal while I was overseas um, at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, my family has a history of Alzheimer's and dementia. So uh, the first part was journal. I didn't journal, so I wanted to remember some of that stuff. But then uh, I think 2015 or so, my grandma, my other grandma, they started developing dementia and man, the last thing I want to do is to leave this world without being able to share my story with my children and um, them being able to share it with their children and hopefully do better, better in their lives, better than, and it hopefully never goes backwards to where, where I was. Um, but again, I go back to my mom. If it wasn't for her, you know, I wouldn't be, wouldn't be here. So uh, 2013, I started. And I still have the laptop that I started it on, the Word document. Um, a publisher approached me to, to do it, and then I chickened out. I was like, no, I'm going to get too much hate. not going to do it. Um, they're going to think it's for the wrong reason. And then in 2020, I decided to not give a fuck. Like, I just was like, all right, you know what? These people are going to – I'm going to have haters regardless. I have it with the dog training. Anyway, so uh, – you know, I just decided to uh, go forward with it. Um, I really wanted to share the story. Did you uh, did you get any uh, brain injury out of the explosion? I had a TBI, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I'm a little bit slower with, you know, that's why I ask you if you're going to edit this stuff because sometimes I, my my thoughts, like I just like it to get it out of my, my head into words is sometimes difficult and, um there's that. And, uh, you know, when, when we would shoot guns afterwards or when there were to be a blast, um, or loud noises or whatever, like, it feels like I go blank for like a split second. I know it's not a second or even a split second, but it feels like it takes me a second to like, remember what I'm doing. Um, if it's a really loud, really loud noise, um, I experienced that when I was in. And then even when I'm out, when, I don't know, man. It could be a, a dump truck going by and something slams, and yeah, yeah. It's um. So I have a I got a TBI from a motorcycle crash actually, and uh, I I tell people I go I wonder I wonder if I'm headed towards any dementia in my future. You know, they can scan. It's crazy. They can scan. Like I went to uh, Nico up in uh, uh, DC. Uh, Bethesda, Maryland, and uh, they scan my brain. They can actually see like uh, spots and stuff where it shows, like where it's you know TBI has has happened. Pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, because I have about nine concussions from wakeboarding, so uh, like severe, really bad ones. Jesus. And uh, I think that's the whole reason why I didn't want to do the working dog stuff anymore, is just because of the chance of falling and doing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. So how long did it take you to put your thoughts together? Well, I had to find the right publisher. Um, I had to find somebody that was looking out in my interests. Um, so I did reverse publishing and uh, they paired me together with a ghostwriter. And I had already had a manuscript written. So he went through and just 
kind of like this podcast, right? I told my story. You guys came back in and said, hey, tell me more about this. Tell me about that. And that's kind of what he did. Um, I paid for it to get done. So, you know, no book deal or anything like that. Use my own money from the dog dog training. And uh, I just wanted to do it the right way, you know. Uh, Were you, uh, did, the, did the ghostwriter go, dude, why do you have so many fucking commas in here? Like, why? Like, <laughs> Dude, if I'm telling you, he'd be like, who wrote this? A third grader? If I wrote uh, it. No, that, that's what it said. Like that, I, I told him, I said, I'm sorry if it looks like a third grader wrote it. And he just started laughing. I'm like, no, seriously. Like I have like commas, double spaces after each sentence, like just run ons, like the F word. <laughs> we went in and we took out some swearing. Like we, I mean, I had to, cause like I got, I got kids that are wanting to like read this and I didn't want to tone it down to where it sounded fake, but I, I, I wanted to leave some raw stuff in there. So I did, but yeah, I don't know, man. It's uh, so I was in Connecticut and if you listen to this, this podcast, everybody knows and you talk to Ted and I listen to us instruct, we cuss, right? I not super apologetic about it. You know, um, we were in, yeah. Con- I was in Connecticut and I did my PowerPoint for my e-collar classes two hours. And I told him ahead of time, I'm going to cuss way less. Just so you know, I'm working on this. I'm going to say the F word way less. So I got done two hours. I look over my buddy Todd. He goes, he, they were counting. Goes, the South Park episode. He goes, 154. <laughs> 154 times in two hours. They had a counter going. Yeah, yeah. right, yeah. That's, yeah. They're just, and everybody laughed. And I'm like. I, I said fuck out loud. I go fuck. I got it, you know. But <laughs> 155. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, I, dude, you got to be excited, right? What was it like getting that first book in to you? It was it was pretty cool. I'll show it again, but it you know just from the letter, like they did everything I asked them to do, like the lettering's raised or uh, recessed, and you know it has the colors of uh, the squadron I was with. Um, I don't know. It just it's it's cool to see the story actually on paper. Now I keep yeah. looking over at it. Um, I don't know. It's it's kind of surreal. Uh, I'm a little bit nervous because I said I'm not going to read reviews, but I probably will take a peek, and I'm sure there'll be somebody in there that's like, "Fuck this shit," <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, or they'll say I got something wrong, like, or I talk badly about a dog or something. I don't know. Not, who knows? Yeah, this, you know, they're always going to find something. So the, the, the book is titled The Underdogs Conquering Life with Man's Best Friend and SEAL Team Blank. Um, yep. From Chief Petty Officer Benito Olson. Where, where is this going to get sold once it gets rolling? So right now it's on ballastbooks.com, and I'll send you guys the link uh, directly to that. I would prefer if somebody's going to buy it, buy it off of there because it's going to be on Amazon. It's already, the link's already there on Amazon, but as you know, they're going to, they're going to take half right off the top. And, uh, you know, I would like to, would like to, uh, recoup some of the, the funds that went into making it. Um, but yeah, go on ballastbooks.com and then Amazon, Target, Walmart, all those places. It's ballast spelled b-a-l-l-a-s-t books.com we'll put all this in the notes backslash purchase backslash the dash underdogs backslash 
but yeah. I'm looking at it right now, but we'll put that in the show notes. So when you, when anybody listens to this, either on YouTube or on iTunes or whatever, like it, they'll be like right in the, in the thing. Cool. So, yeah. So real quick, and then we're going to, we're going to move, we're going to get off here, but what was the hardest part of writing it? Uh, the hardest part was knowing how much to put in there. Um, the book is only like 240 pages. It's not very long. It's not that my life was boring. It's because I, I shared, you know, I didn't want to put every story I had of every dog in there. If I did that, it'd be, you know, five, 600 pages. Um, remembering some of the details and going in depth was a little bit difficult. Um, I think the most difficult part was, uh, having to rewrite the extortion part, what I was doing, um, having to like go back through when I got blown up. Um, that was, that was rough. And just, uh, that part, I mean, it, a lot of life lived in that, in there, in that time period. So I just, it's, it was all pretty rough having to rewrite that part. And, you know, knuckle draggers like me and some folks, I, I hope there's some pictures in that bitch. There's it pictures. Is. Yeah. There's yeah. 30 pictures in there. Wow. Actually, there's one of femurs. I got fem- my, my femur picture in there and I got my junk all blacked out and I made the box extra big. So, um, so that way it leaves, <laughs> leaves something for, I'm half Mexican. So, you know, it ain't, ain't that big, but, uh, I leave it up for, uh, interpretation. Yeah. You know, only the good parts Mexican, right? <laughs> <laughs> dude i i'm uh i'm really really happy for you. Do you is there any socials you want to plug or anything website or anything? uh yeah dot com. uh page uh, you know patriot dog training uh instagram uh, like i talked we talked about the uh speaking um or whatever i mean i'm i'm down for anything uh i'm always happy the one thing i miss real quick i miss about the working dog world is actually working with the handlers. Um, so if I could go back and do anything, I probably would have stuck around a little bit more in that because of the tactical side of it, like I, you know, know a lot about that, but um, definitely miss the, uh, the, the, the police officers and the military guys. So I'm sure there's been folks that's tried to drag you back in like Al Pacino and Godfather three. Yeah, I mean, as like a consulting basis, which um, before I wasn't interested, I'd say now I'm probably more interested than than before. So, yeah. All right, man. Uh, Ted, what about you? Where are you at? Uh, Ted underscore Summers um, on the Instagrams. Um, and then uh, Torchlight Canine, letter K number nine, Torchlight Pets on Instagram and Facebook and then working underscore dog underscore radio after 200 something episodes, you'd figure I would get that. It still just <laughs> yeah. not, doesn't roll off the tongue, but it's working dog radio with the things under like the, you know, everybody listening to this knows was that. Uh, and then we started a 501 also for Oklahoma teams called the oil capital canine fund capital spell one a, um, and I'm going through the laborious process currently of getting that thing set on guide star. And it's a, not an easy process anyway uh so that'll be january 1st when that thing kind of kicks off but we're already got our ein we've already got our determination letter and everything else but uh it's basically going to do what pk98 did but it's strictly for oklahoma teams plus i'm bringing in uh trainers from across the country and you're on eric is one you're one of my first guys to bring down 
And when you come down, if you're listening to this and you're in the Oklahoma area, this part's not limited to Oklahoma teams, but um, if you're in Arkansas, Kansas, Texas, wherever, um, the seminar will be free for law enforcement. Um, there will be a limited number of like working spots, obviously, but yeah, you just show up. Uh, we'll give you key call or clear hours. Um, uh, so yeah, it's whatever you mean. It'll be, it'll be good, but that is coming up. Um, by the time this publishes, it should be about January ish. So yeah. Um, yeah. Other than that. Good. I'm looking, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting over there. You know, Ted and I have known each other for a long time. We've been doing this podcast since February, February of 18. I've yet to be in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, he's been to Canton a couple times, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, they, I can take you and show you the hood here. Yeah. I'll come out. <laughs> Every time I go to Canton, Eric's like, I shot a dude there. I got in a fight there. I know somebody that got shot there. Mm-hmm. I know somebody that shot somebody there. And I'm like, fucking Canton is like, yeah. And then he this... still goes to the ghetto gas stations and, and whatever. I needed a Red Bull. Yeah. He, he, he's the guy that follows, <laughs> got to follow the GPS right to his own demise. You're like, you're like Michael Scott. There's no turn. Oh, so, that's all right. <laughs> um, Benny, uh, really, really happy that we could get you on, man. Uh, Thank you. We're going to talk to a couple people at some of these uh, conferences about maybe a speaking gig for you. Um, yeah. I got a lot, a lot of people that would be interested in this, in, in meeting you. And um, I'll get on, I'll get on ballast and get a book and maybe uh, I'll keep it with me so I can get it signed when I see you. Um, absolutely well all the ones that are on there are going to get signed so there's like three thousand oh. of them or something oh shit yeah crap yeah. up here is go. it your is it is the wrist your writing wrist the one you get the... no oh. no oh, that's good Whew. that's a good one so <laughs> all right man i really appreciate you having me being on and um thank you and uh hopefully uh this thing will be a big hit and and can't wait and i'm glad it's 240 pages i ain't got time for Tulsa well, some of them day. are pictures. Yes, so, thirty yeah. pictures. I don't have thirty, dude. If it wasn't for Facebook, I wouldn't have a single picture of anything. I'm the worst, <laughs> the worst, <laughs> the worst. So, all right, Ted, we'll see you. All right, Take guys, care, boys. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. You got your reasons. I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old to die young. Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E.blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.